Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where new signings are guaranteed a great debut. Join and choose your welcome offer at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of VAR at the Bar. My name is Ant and I am joined with the usual suspects tonight. Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Chris. How are, we, how are we all doing? Great, thank you. Uh, not too bad. Nice enjoying and sunny this... outside. Yeah, beat me to it. Doing the fine weather. Four <laughs> days of summer. <laughs> right then. Because um, it feels like forever since we've done a podcast. So... Got an action-packed episode tonight for you. I thought I'd jump straight in. And um, Chris, how have you found top five? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to put my hands up and I totally forgot, <laughs> forgot to do it. Um, amateur's mistake, I put my hands up. You can be crucified as much as you like. But, yeah. But how did you, how did you two get on with it? Oh, it was dead easy. <laughs> yeah, I had quite a few names. It's one of those where um, they, they came to me slowly. We could we could ask this question for like four weeks, really, and I come up with the top five every week for four weeks, but it was uh, not obvious. Okay. Go on then, Dan. Let's see what your first one is. All right. First one. Uh, I've gone for Graham Potter, who uh, had a spell at Stoke City, the Potters. Oh, uh, that's a good shout. Yeah. All right. I'm going to get my, uh, my best one out of the way first, before anyone else says oh, it. Go on. I've gone for Bradley Stokes, who plays for Bradley Stoke FC. Have you just picked one of your mates, uh, Eleven No Side teams or something? No, I found you know, this is what prompted this top five. Is I saw this article on BBC website, and I thought that can't be his real name, but it is. Did he win the lottery or something and make his own team? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I couldn't tell you where Bradley Stoke is, but. They are a real team somewhere down the pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. You're back to me again now. <laughs> well, it's going to have to be, isn't it? <laughs> You've ruined this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next one, I've gone for Lee Sharp. So he played for Man United at a time when they were uh, sponsored by Sharp. <laughs> That's a good one, actually. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, my next one. Um, uh, Mark Robbins. Oh, oh, <laughs> he's one of my list as well. Uh, but then I, I found a funny stat that he once scored against Swindon. So Robbins scored for the Robbins against the Robbins. Oh, my God. oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, that's pretty good. And obviously he played for the Canaries as well. Of course, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, my next one, I've gone for Don Goodman, who played for Wimbledon, the Dons. Ah, you thought about oh, this, Dan. Yeah, he played for Wimbledon. What? All right, so my, num- my third one is Liam Trotter, who played for Bolton. <laughs> Brilliant. I was trying to think if there was a Trotter that played for Bolton, but I didn't know of any. And Rodney Trotter didn't, unfortunately. <laughs> No, that was a good one. Well, I've only got one left, and this is my this is my best one. I've gone for Christian Fuchs. Oh, I had that one. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, because Fuchs is German for fox. Yeah. Uh, outside the box there, guys. I thought I might be the only one to have that one. <laughs> All right, my final one is uh, Wolfgang Wolf, who managed Wolfsburg. Brilliant. <laughs> wow. That's good. I like that one. You missed out, Chris. I did. I did indeed. I apologise. Do we have any special mentions? No, I only had five. I had one other. Um, Matt Sadler, who played for Walsall. Oh, good Sadler. shout. Mm. Good shout. Well, we better move on and let Chris do some talking then. So let's do the good, the bad, the obscure this week. Yeah. Sure thing. Right then, today's it's actually a player that's actually still playing now. So uh, it's Marco Anatovic, our Austrian friend. So during his uh, youth career, he played at various teams in Austria, but due to his poor behaviour, he wasn't allowed to stay in one team. So I think he played for about six various teams in his youth. Um, he then moved to FC20, um, did well for the second team there, got promoted to the first team. And at the time, uh, a manager, the manager for FC20, Fred Rotten, um, said at the time when he made his debut that Marco was not a worker when he was young. There was no problem for me because to develop players, you have to work with them. He showed a lot of skills on the training pitch. But at the beginning, it was not easy for him because talent alone is not enough. You also have to learn how to work. I had to teach him that if you want to to be a big player, you can use talent, but also you have to do some of the dirty work. At the moment, he's probably that. So because of that that reason, he was used quite sparingly, but um, but his attitude was still a problem. But after finally listening to his coach, he actually made his breakthrough and scored three goals in his first three games at the age of 19 and also made his senior debut for Austria. After just one season as a FC20 regular, where they finished second in the league, offers were coming in from big clubs abroad. In the summer of 2009, 20 chairmen accepted a bid from Chelsea and Artovich went to England but failed a medical, medical sorry, which showed he had a fractured foot 
Instead, he moved to Inter on a one-year loan with an option to purchase. So throughout the whole of the season, he made three, three appearances, all as sub, uh, none in Europe. And also that was the season that Inter won their um, three titles that season under uh, Jose Mourinho. But he found the competition very tough. He was behind Diego Melito, Samuel Eto'o, Goran Pandev and Mario Balotelli. The manager at the time, like I said, was Jose Mourinho. He branded Marco Childish mainly because he had his boots embroidered Champions League winners, even though he didn't play a minute for them in Europe. So he moved to Werder Bremen, which which they paid £6.5 for him in 2010. And though his time in Germany had to be controversy, like he called the city a dump on TV, he still managed three years there, but he only scored 14 goals in 74 appearances and had the nickname Agontovic due to his attitude. Marco was kicked out of the Austrian national team for misbehaving in a training camp camp prior to a Euro Euro 2012 qualifier. Um, And then in the following summer, he was actually signed for Stoke for £2 million. Spent four seasons there and was a very important player. However, probably would have asked for more goals than his 22 goals that he scored. Unfortunately, left on a sour note with a war of words with the chairman at the time, Peter Coates, and his agent, who was his brother. So now we're getting to 2017. Signed for West Ham United for £25 on a five-year contract. At first, the uh, Moyes had complained about his effort and attitude in training and actually threatened that he'd be dropped from the first team. But uh, Marco actually got his head down and proceeded to score 11, 11 goals and was named Hammer of the Year. So his second season, um, he actually ma- matched that feat with 11 goals again. But for six, season, for six months, he was actually looking for a move away to China, where he was being offered more than his already large weekly salary of £120,000 a week. West Ham were getting quite annoyed with this and his agent brother, Daniel, as they were trying to force um, the move. Daniel famously said that his brother is not a cow or horse which he brings to market. He's a highly talented footballer who's simply being used by West Ham. He's just a number to them. So after six months of arguments, he eventually moved. Moved to China and uh, joined Shanghai SIPG for £22.4 million in July of 2019, apparently earning bonuses up to £280,000 a week. In a recent interview with him, he, he hadn't taken his time particularly um, seriously there. He said, eating at wrong times, not sleeping, because when I came to China, it took me three weeks until I could adapt to the time I went to bed at six slash seven o'clock in the morning and woke up at three slash four o'clock in the afternoon, went to training, stayed up again all night, eating at wrong times. And that has unsurprisingly struggled with his time there. Apparently, though, his contract is up this December 
and possibly a move to West Ham could be back on the cards. So that's a, a quick description of uh, Marco Nautovic's colourful career. How wow. would you rate him? I, I thought he was a talent. I rate him very highly. I thought he, um, he could dominate defenders when he put his mind to it. Noble, what a ball. Arnautovic, flag stays down. 3-1. Marco Arnautovic. Right then, so that brings us on to the top 10 uh, unfulfilled potential or wasted talent, however you want to say it, of the Premier League era. Uh, how have you found this one? Difficult, mate. Yeah, it's been tough. Have you yeah. done it, Chris? I have today, yeah. <laughs> right, that's, that's all right then. All right. At least you've got some names. There's so many players that have not achieved their full potential. So to pick 10 players that you want to highlight as massively underachieving, I guess. It's been challenging in itself, that has. Yeah, I can't, I've tried to avoid ones we've talked about before. Yeah. yeah. And I've tried to avoid ones where they've got injured and just, you know, that, that's it, really. I've sent, I've focused more on the ones that have just got bad attitude and you know, okay. partying and stuff. That's how I've done it. But you know, no, no, there's, there's, there's no right or wrong answers, as always, with these lists. <laughs> Exactly. I know you like to have a wild card on there, Chris. Oh, mate, there's probably a few. No. <laughs> You've probably got Alan Shearer or someone. Oh. <laughs> Thomas Brolin. <laughs> Finally. <Yeah. laughs> okay. Um, right, let's come to Chris first then on this one. Who have you got okay, number you're 10? Gonna spit, you, you, this is going to shock you. Okay, start off. <laughs> cool, here we go. I, I'm going with Eric Lamella. Okay. Spurs. I've got the. I've looked into him and I've got the facts to back it up. Okay. Cool. Go for so, uh, so he started his career at River Plate. Spent three seasons before joining Roma for twelve million. He's still only nineteen years old at that time. Spent two seasons there and even scored fifteen goals in thirty-three games in his last season, which was the two thousand and eleven to thirteen. So at the time, Spurs snapped him up for 30 million in August 2013. At the time, that was their highest ever fee. So in the in his first two seasons, which were his best, he did seven assists. And on the 14th, 15th season, 2014-15 season, he did nine assists and seven goals. Um, the following season, however, first team opportunities had dropped and had started to make a lot more sub-appearances. Injuries have been the cause, but in the last two seasons, he's only scored three goals and one assist. This season, he has scored the goal of the season, which was that Rabona. <laughs> However, coming from regular games and eight years of improvement, or he should have, then I just think it hasn't really worked out for him. Um, really, I think coming from that sort of fee as well, he should be fighting more for a first-team um, place. But I always find him now or, or see him just on the subs. And I just don't know whether that's partly attitude as well, that he's just happy just to be playing with, you know, playing in a team that he's comfortable with or what. But, yeah, I'll put him there because I think he's got the talent, which he showed with the goal this year of the flair. 
He's got fantastic ball control that I think probably there's other aspects to his game or maybe attitude that just haven't quite put him up to his highest potential that he could be. You know, I really like that pick, Chris. That's a really good one because he's so talented. He is. This is what I mean. Seeing speaking from like the, the stats that he came from from Roma, I know, you know, one every two games and now he's only picking out a couple of goals a season and one assist. There's something obviously dropped there and it's not just injuries. It might just be put in the wrong position or he's just not adapting to the manager's styles. But again, got to be a bit rigid, haven't you? Yeah. I think he's at the wrong club, to be honest. I'm amazed he's still there. To be honest. That's mm. I'm amazed he's still there. I thought he would have gone back to Italy or somewhere. Yeah, I thought that. Okay, it's a good start. Well then, Dan? Yeah, perhaps not such a wow factor with this one. But number 10, I've gone for Richie Humphreys. Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Was he the one that chipped the, against Leicester? Or yes. Scored against Leicester right. to put them top, yeah. Yeah, so he, um, it was a, a youth team product at Sheffield Wednesday. He broke into the first team squad during the 1996 pre-season when they had injuries to David Hurst and Mark Bright. So he went on a pre-season tour with them to the Netherlands and um, he scored three goals in two games. And uh, suddenly expectations went through the roof when Johan Cruyff was impressed with his performances and likened him to a Marco van Basten. (laughs) So not too much pressure on the lad, but he actually transferred his pre-season form to the Premier League where he got uh, three goals in his first four appearances for Sheffield Wednesday that season and included that chip against Leicester where he won the September Goal of the Month award. But um, he didn't manage to continue his form that season and Sheffield Wednesday recruited heavily from abroad following those injuries where they bought um, Darko Kovacevic, Benito Carbone, Paolo Di Canio. They were all brought in and ahead of Dumfries in the pecking order. Uh, eventually, he moved on to Hartlepool United and he spent uh, 12 years playing at Hartlepool. So from all that promise of being likened to Van Basten, he's ended up playing in League One and League Two for the rest of his career. That's mad, isn't it? The descent, the sudden drop they had. There was quite a bit of hype about him as well, especially. Mm. I mean, I watched that game against Leicester, obviously, and I remember um, the pundits were loving him. I, thought he I was, remember uh, it was like a Monday thing. night game, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. obviously, Leicester and, at the time, Wednesday were both like unbeaten and I think whoever won would go top. And uh, Yeah, and he did that, that worldie of a goal. <laughs> yeah, I remember him bursting onto the scene thinking, this kid's going to be quite good and then nothing really yeah <laughs> <laughs> to put it bluntly yeah that sums it up all right so my number 10 perhaps a little bit controversial um but he may be higher on your list i don't know is i've gone ross barkley oh okay no i didn't include him no, but that's a good no one, it's a good shout so he came through the ranks at everton and he had this um he made his debut i think the first day of the season 2013 2014 and he'd had some impressive loans. This was his actual Premiership debut. Um, and he put in some impressive displays shortly afterwards against Arsenal and Swansea. And it prompted Gary Lineker to claim he was a star in the making. Um, 
anyway, and then in 17, 18 season, he signed for Chelsea for a, not a massive fee. It was only 15 million pounds. And to me, he didn't really set the world alight at Chelsea. I, mean, I know he had a few injuries, but he also had several incidents off the pitch. You know, there was that incident where he took a penalty when he wasn't asked to and Lampard made up some excuse that he was a penalty taker, even though he wasn't. And then he was seen topless in a nightclub. Um, and in all these incidents, he soon fell out with Lampard and he made a loan spell to Aston Villa in September 2020. And again, I know, again, he's had a few injuries, but he's not really done much since his Everton debut, I don't think. And I was actually quite surprised. A, he's got 33 caps to his name and B, he's 27 now. And which I thought he was a lot younger. And I, I just, I can't see him getting any better or pushing on. So that's why I've, I've included him. No, it was a really good shout. And for me, it was really telling this season when Jack Grealish got injured that the, there was basically a, a need for him to carry the load at Villa, bringing that ball out of midfield, and he didn't do it. Uh, there was yeah. nobody taking the games by the scruff of the neck for Villa, and they really suffered as a team yeah. because Barkley didn't step up yet again. I think and he then, had one. He had one good game for Villa this season, which was against Liverpool. But then I think the whole Aston Villa team had a bloody good game that day. So, yeah, that was his debut, yeah. as well. And and also, obviously, there's all the quite. He seems to play well against uh, Liverpool, doesn't he? Well, he did the he same for Chelsea. Yeah, and like like Dan said, I mean, he got that bad. I think for Villa that I don't think he might have been injured, but Dean Smith wasn't even picking him. At the end of it, I think. I was going to say, yeah, I've, I've I not so. even heard his name this season that much. Yeah, no. Really? Yeah. That's a good one, mate. Right, and Chris, who have you got a number nine? Yeah, my number nine is a guy called Darren Ambrose from oh, Ipswich. My doppelganger back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, do you want to speak about him, mate? If you want no, to? he's not on my list. <laughs> At which point did they swap places? <laughs> Have we been? <laughs> <laughs> Newcastle, Newcastle. <laughs> Probably. So, That's when my shooting eluded me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Dan Ambrose was um, a local lad from the Ipswich Academy and he actually made his debut for Ipswich in April 2002. He's a regular the following season, and to assist Ipswich's financial issues, he moved to Newcastle at that time for a cut price one million. It was bought by uh, Bobby Robson, became a regular at Newcastle under him, and played all the games in the 2003-04 season. Uh, that, unfortunately, until Robson was sacked and Ambrose was out of favour under the new manager, Graham Souness. But then uh, injury kept him out of the first team scene. During the, the period before injury, he was becoming an under-21 regular as well. Uh, in July 05, he moved to Charlton for 1.5 million. He was a regular for them for two seasons in the Prem before they got relegated. And then for the two seasons that they actually were in the, Prem, uh, the championship for. Injury problems and financial difficulties there as well meant that Ambrose went on loan to Ipswich, but that only lasted for nine games. He then moved for free to Palace in the summer of 2009. Again, became a regular at the Championship Club for three seasons before moving to fellow um, Championship team Birmingham for uh, 250 grand and scored a debut in the League Cup. He then had a spell in Greece and then went back for a third time 
to Ipswich before retiring after a season at Colchester. Um, it, I remember him in the Premier League. I think he um, he just looked a quite an agile sort of winger as well, left-footed. And at that time, England were crying for left wingers because they were sticking strikers there, weren't they? Um, and I just thought at the time he moved to Ever- to Newcastle, young. He was only about 21, 22. And he had, he had the potential to, I think, really crank it up. But obviously due to the change of managers, we always see quite a lot. He just couldn't quite just get up to that next lot, next level to really go, go some. And obviously injury affected him as well. You've summed up my career quite well there, Chris. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you didn't mention my wonder goal against Manchester United, though. I know. Apparently, Gary Neville said that's the best ever goal he saw at Old Trafford. Nice one. There we go. How did you feel when you scored it? Uh, quite, quite, quite elated, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> be like that one I powered past you on a Monday night. <laughs> anyway. Dan, who have you got? Uh, number nine, I've gone for Carlos Vela. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he was scouted by Arsenal in 2005 after he won the Golden Boot at the Under-17s World Cup. Uh, Arsene Wenger described him as a player that's naturally gifted, intelligent, got very good technique. He labelled him a special talent and said that he likes his intelligence and pace, scoring goals, but also he can create them too. Uh, He didn't actually qualify for a work permit at the point when Arsenal signed him. So they shipped him off on loan to Spanish sides for the next few seasons. Uh, He had a loan spell at West Bromwich Albion at the point where he'd broken into the Mexico national team. But he failed to wow the fans. He only managed two goals in eight appearances. Uh, It was hard for him to find first team football at Arsenal. He only managed 29 league appearances over a seven-year spell contracted to the club. I uh, sent out on loan again to Real Sociedad. Uh, he started to make inroads there and he had a good spell. Um, they made the move permanent in 2012. Uh, he went on to make 184 league appearances and got 54 goals in La Liga for them. So he started to show what he could really achieve. Uh, but in 2018, he moved on to Los Angeles so I'm not playing at the highest level at this point any longer. And at Los Angeles, he's got 52 goals in 70 games. For his, for his national team in Mexico, he's made 72 appearances and got 19 goals. I think he could have had a much better goal return for Mexico than that, especially alongside other great attacking players like Hernandez. Yeah. And the Santos. Exactly. Yeah, they've got a yeah. great squad. Yeah. But yeah, I just That's thought he, he, was, he was a good player. Is um, he's gone on to have a career that's been pretty good, but I when I saw the early signs, I thought he could have been a very good player, especially under Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. No, good pick. Very good. Pick. I think he bailed a little bit, you know, when he went to America, and obviously the money the money was thrown at him, and I thought you're a bit too young. I think he was still only like twenty seven, twenty eight. And I, I, thought, I agree. That's what, that's what I was know. getting at with that as well. He, he didn't have to move to America at that time. He, could, he had another no. big move left in him. I think so. And he wasn't doing badly at, in Spain at all, was he? He was one of the main, no. main players still. But strange, isn't it? Yep. 
All right, my number nine is another Aston Villa player, and that's Lee Hendry. I considered him, but I I left him out. Yeah, so he was Aston Villa's 1998 Young Player of the Year, and he had all these talents, and everyone was saying he was like one of the best midfielders to have come out of the club. However, he had one major flaw, and that was the fact that um, it, it was just his attitude that held him back. Um, you know, he, he had all the skill, but he just he just couldn't seem to get the, the sort of the mental game figured out. Uh, in the end, he made 251 appearances for Villa. Uh, he even played an FA Cup final in 2000. But he, he just sort of, I wouldn't say he didn't set the world light at Villa. He, he did all right, but then when he left Villa, uh, he just ended up going, you know, making a handful of appearances for club after club all the way down the football conference. Um, I mean, he ended up in obscurity and non-league, to be honest. And he probably could have, perhaps even when he left Villa, he probably could have pushed on a bit and played for perhaps slightly better clubs yeah. he did play for, had he had a, you know, a better attitude. Yeah. I found for, with him, though, I think if you're going to get somebody who's a one-club person, it would be him, born, born and raised in Villa. I just think once he was let go, was it by Martin O'Neill? Because uh, I, I think, think it was, yeah. Yeah, I think he just he just sort of went, well, that's I'll just go around and get what I can with not as much effort. And unfortunately, he is someone that I think if he put a bit more effort in, would have been able to probably broke through into sort of at least England squads. He made he had one cap for England in '98, yeah, which is obviously when he broke through for Villa. Yeah, um, but he had loads of disciplinary disciplinary problems. Like crashing his Porsche as he was trying to make a plane for a European game. Graham Taylor had to pick up the pieces. Um, and yeah, like like you say, Chris, he went on to Stoke, Sheffield United, Leicester, Blackpool, Derby, Brighton, somewhere abroad, Badung, I presume Thailand, Daventry, Kidderminster, Chasetown, Redditch, Tamworth. Yeah. You know, he's kept it local. Sad, really. well, I know he kept it local from Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> it was sad, really, because he was. It I was. remember watching him play, and he was a quality player. But he just, you know, he obviously had demons, didn't he? He yeah, had the X factor, didn't he? Harry's heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. All right, I think we're back to you, Chris. We are. Right for the second time on the show, we're mentioning his name. And that's Lee Sharp. You got him higher. I, I, put him on, cool, actually. I put him on my flops list, so I didn't want to include him on this one as well. <laughs> yeah, so he moved to Man United from Torquay for 200k in June 88, uh, which was the most for a youth team player. Broke into the first team in 88 89 and became a regular the following season. He only called up, called up uh, to England. Just before his 20th birthday in 1991, but injuries and illness meant he was out of the picture and was replaced by a certain Ryan Giggs on the left at the time. Uh, when Man United won the first Premier League, unfortunately, Lee Sharp didn't play enough games, so he wasn't even given a winner's medal. <laughs> his extracurricular activities at the time annoyed Alex Ferguson incredibly because he knew what sort of talent he had. They did try to put him into the team on the right side of midfield, 
and all things were going well until um, injury again and the coming of number one, Andre Konchelskis and also David Beckham, unfortunately forced him out of the picture. So during his time at Man U, Lee Sharp won three league titles, two FA Cups, a League Cup and a UEFA Cup Winners' Cup. He joined Leeds um, for £4.5 million in August '96, but during the second season, Sharp had major knee injury and once recovered, he went on loan to Sampdoria where he only made three appearances. At, the, at that time, the manager of Sampdoria was David Platt. He then joined Bradford and helped them get promoted and also kept them in the league on his other season there. He then went on loan to Portsmouth, Exeter, Icelandic team, Grindavik and finished his career at Gosford Town before he then retired in 2004. I put him low because he already did quite a lot anyway. And I just think that is that just moving on to that next echelon, he was so close. But yeah, like we say, his attitude wasn't quite right. He liked to party when a lot of the class of 92 were training. He was probably recovering from a hangover. (laughs) So... So that's why I put him there. Fair enough. Okay, Dan, what we got? All right, my next one is Marco Van Hinkle. Oh, the Chelsea guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You could loosely describe him as that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the guy who was on the books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, he made his debut for Vitesse in Holland, his native Holland at age 17, 2009, and he went on to make a total of 111 appearances for them, scoring 23 goals. In 2012-13, he was voted the Dutch Young Player of the Year. And these are the appearances that caught Chelsea's eye. And in 2013, he joined them for a fee of £8 million. Uh, Former manager Jose Mourinho spoke of him by saying he's similar to Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard in many ways. He is a great engine, immense physical power, and he covers a fantastic area of field defensively. And his instinct is that he wants to go into finishing areas and score goals too. So he was already showing signs of being the complete midfielder, box to box. However, early in his Chelsea career, he suffered an ACL injury. And once he recovered, he found first team opportunities hard to come by. He went on loan spells to Milan, Stoke City, PSV. He had uh, another serious ACL injury. Um, And after a seven-year period where he'd made only four appearances for Chelsea, the fans were stunned when Chelsea offered him a new contract in 2020. Now, what they might not have known is that actually, in the 2017-18 season at PSV, he'd had a breakout season. He made 43 league appearances for them and scored 21 goals for midfield. He also captained the side and help them to win the Dutch title that year. So he had this breakout season, suffered another ACL injury, and then Chelsea thought, we don't want to let him go yet, especially as they were banned from bringing players in at the time as well. So they signed him on for another year. Again, though, he didn't receive any first-team opportunities, and he was sent on loan to PSV, which was the third time he'd been sent on loan there. Uh, In his early days at Vitesse, he primarily played an attacking role, and he matured to play in a deeper defensive role. And he's become a very well-rounded midfielder. Although he was once uh, touted as one of the future superstars, it's never actually come to pass. 
So um, he's still on the books at uh, Chelsea. Maybe. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so um, he's, he's shown glimpses of what he's capable of, and I think even Chelsea have recognised that. But you you got to you got to give the guy a chance, or you got to <laughs> let him move on. It's a strange one. Oh, that's crazy. I know there was that period where Chelsea had so many players out on loan. It was just like, you know, but even they didn't know who they, who they actually had out on loan. It was more than 50, wasn't it? It was crazy. Oh, yeah. It was a ridiculous yeah. amount of players. Yeah, it was a good one. Like that one. Okay. Uh, my number eight is... I know I said I wasn't going to talk about ones that get injured, but I had to include this guy. Um, I've gone Dean Ashton. Oh, Okay. I know we've spoken about him before briefly in other podcasts, but um, so if he came up through the crew Alexandra's renowned youth youth academy, um, he was the, the the bright young star in the early two thousands. He scored goals for Crew. Um, he went on to uh, win honours with England under sixteen, under seventeen, under eighteen, and under nineteen. And it was only a matter of time for a big a big club came knocking for him, um, and that big club was Norwich. They got him for three million. He scored 17 goals in his first year, but then he was on the move again, joining West Ham for seven million. Um, and he continued his good form in the top flight. Uh, and he, he got his much much deserved England call up in August 2006. Shortly before the game against Greece in training, he got injured. Uh, he broke his ankle, and he missed the next year of football entirely making his next appearance in July 2007 in a friendly. He then went on to play 35 league games that season and started to get back to where he was. Um, he scored 11 goals, finally got his England cap, and then he got rewarded with a new five-year contract at West Ham. However, start of 08-09, his ankle problems returned again, and it, it got so bad that he just couldn't couldn't kick a ball ever again, so he, he retired in December 2009 at the age of 26. Uh, his last game was, um, I think it was West Brom in September 2008. It's such a shame because he had such a talent. He was such a good striker, and you know I think yeah. he'd probably still be banging. True the professional as well. He was. He was. He really was. You know, he really could have gone on to really be a big thing, but it's just you know. Like Did any of you see his goal that he scored on? Um, it was somebody's like uh, testimonial, and he scored an overhead kick. But it was only a couple of years back. Can't remember who it I know was. He scored, an, he scored an overhead kick against Man United in in the league, I think. Yeah, is that Mark Noble's testimonial that he scored it? That was it. It was amazing, and like they all, everyone, everyone helped him part. Or whether it's at the new place, just clapping him afterwards. It's just like. Still got it there, but obviously you just you just couldn't do it. You know, couldn't put hundred percent into it. Yeah, it's a real shame. Yeah, I think I included him on my uh, one season wonder list, but I think he's more suited to this list. Actually, he's it. It was showing the signs of really breaking through. And Man United tried to sign him just before he signed that contract extension with West Ham, and he was on the verge of breaking through as being a top striker in the Premier League. It was it was a real shame that they had the injuries at the time he did. But um, but yeah, he's a real class act. Do you think he would have ended up being at someone like a Man United? I know it's easy to say that, but do you think he had the qualities that somebody like Ferguson would have 
admired. He would have ended up somewhere, be it Liverpool or Man United. Or One of the big, he, the big he ones, yeah. Like the top if he'd been fit. They had a real top. good work ethic, though, didn't they? He could have ended up at Arsenal, even. He could have ended up anywhere. Mm. He had a lot of quality to his game as a striker, a lot of good instincts as well. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, back to you then, Chris, number seven. Yeah, mine's uh, Keith Gillespie. Oh, blimey, so you're going back a bit in these ones. I know. Back to the 90s. <laughs> well, you say that I don't do enough revision in the 90s, so I thought <laughs> I'll, I'll just do a couple there. So, again, he was part of the uh, 1992 FA uh, Youth Cup winning team. Uh, he made occasional appearances for Man United, but, again, was behind Konchowskis in the pecking order and was there to take over that position until Beckham broke through. Uh, Fergie was looking to buy Andy Cole and offered him in exchange. Uh, Fergie only agreed because of the foreigner rule, and he was desperate in desperate need of English qualified players. However, the rule was scrapped a year later, but for Gillespie it was too late. Away from the strict regime of Fergie, he was unable to control his vices, particularly gambling. On the pitch, he spent three seasons at Newcastle, making over 100 appearances, scoring 10 goals. He then moved to Blackburn and spent five seasons there and helped them win the League Cup in 2002. Moved to Leicester on a free transfer, spent two seasons there before moving to Sheffield United and spent a further four there. In his late career, he played for Charlton, Bradford, Glentoran, Darlington and Longford Town. Um, Gillespie um, has been bankrupt through his gambling and apparently got knocked out cold by Alan Shearer on a boozy night out in Newcastle. Um, He made, amazingly, 86 um, caps for Northern Ireland as well. But I think he could have probably made more. He's technically a very gifted player which I think probably to, due to maybe um, other vices getting in the way, probably couldn't quite, didn't quite have 100% on it. What do you guys think? Uh, the thing I liked about his game is he was a very direct winger. Yeah, old school. Yeah, yeah, he was. That's, that's a good way of putting it. He was an old school player. And I think there was definitely a place for that type of player in the Premier League at that time. Uh, I was a little bit surprised when Man United let him go, actually, because I thought that they relied on a lot, a lot of service into the box. And I think he, he could have gone on to bigger and better things there. But like you say, it was about bringing Cole in, wasn't it? That was what yeah. Man United's agenda was. He did well apparently, there's a, apparently, as a side story, Fergie um, helped negotiate his wages with Newcastle. So he <laughs> apparently was on 200 quid a week at Man U. So I went into the thing with Fergie and the guy at Newcastle went like, so how much, how, how much are you paying him? And Fergie said, oh, 500 quid. <laughs> and he goes, um, right then, if I offer you £1,000, would you take that? And he's like, he had a quick chat with Fergie. And Fergie's like, no, no, 1,200 quid a week and we'll, we'll talk. And he basically did all of the agency work, agents work for Kevin Gillespie, got him like, a, five, a times five bonus, <laughs> <laughs> bonus and wages in just like that chat. It's quite amazing, really, reading that. Yeah, but 
But on a side note, like you said, he's a very old school player. I think there's, like I said, there's room for him. He could have gone to bigger and better places. But again, I just think he just didn't quite fulfil what he could have done. I don't remember that much about him, if I'm being honest. I remember he's just, him being around. But he's very pacey, wasn't he? He's just very direct, very pacey. Got the ball right to the to the line, whipped the ball in for the big man in the in the box. But I guess when he went to Leicester, it was a little bit more. It I know was that very... was in the time. That was in the time when you were bringing in every free transfer, wasn't it? Out shape was he, or did he do quite well there? Yeah, we had a whole team made up of journeymen. It was a. It was the worst Leicester team in my lifetime. That's for sure. Yeah, he, he was probably the best player in it as well. Um, like I say, very direct. And we had lots of big man strikers at that time as well. Brian Dean, Barry Hales, Steve Howard. Um, so, yeah, he, he was he was well-respected by the fans. And he, he couldn't really have enjoyed his football at Leicester at that time. It was a shame yeah. that um, he, he didn't remain at a club like Newcastle, really, because I, I think he had his best spell there. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dan, what were you got at number seven? All right, number seven. Now, this guy's actually still playing, but I've stuck him on the list anyway for um, unfulfilled potential. And it's Adnan Yanazai. Yeah, he was considered. He was considered with me. I couldn't tell you where he is, but yeah, I know he's still playing. May I associate that, I think. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah. He's a regular there. So, um, he was uh, an 18 year old where he. Uh, seemed to burst onto the scene at Man United during David Moyes' spell in charge. And he instantly caught the eye of fans, football experts, and everyone really. He had his two-footed skills, his exceptional technical ability, low centre of gravity, and his ability to just glide past defenders effortlessly. He reminded you in the many ways of someone like Messi. His, um, his technical ability was that high. Um, in his debut season on... 3rd of December 2013, he was nominated for the BBC Young Sports Personality of the Year Award. That's how much of an impact it made with the way he played football at that time. That's how much he caught the eye. He only played 10 games for Man United at that time. Incredible. Uh, there were calls for him to commit his international future to England, but uh, Kosovo, Albania, Serbia, Turkey and Croatia were also in the running. And of course, as we know, he ended up going to Belgium in the end. He was called up to their World Cup squad in 2014, uh, aged 19. And he got his first cap for them in a warm-up game. Uh, at the start of the 2014-15 season, he was allocated the number 11 shirt, previously worn by the recently retired Ryan Giggs. However, he didn't get many first-team opportunities. And uh, especially under new manager Louis van Gaal, he was struggling against more physical defenders as well. He didn't have a, the same role in the team. They went on a couple of loan spells to Dortmund and Sunderland, and then he signed permanently for Real Sociedad. Um, he's actually become a regular there, and he's been very successful. They've had a very good season this year in particular, uh, qualifying for the Europa League. But um, the, the early promise of how good he looked like he could be, and I don't think that talent was really nurtured by a manager, is is my honest criticism but um he's, he's shown glimpses he scored against england in the 2018 world cup he's um he's on the reserve list for belgium at the euros so it looks like he's not going to be playing in that tournament we still might yet see the best of him but at this time of recording this podcast um i feel like it's unfulfilled potential he could have been a great player 
and he's only a good player at the minute. Yeah, no, good shout. He, he was considered. Um, I didn't really delve too much into him, but had I, he might have made my list. All right, my number seven, I've gone with Jermaine Pennant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's my number two. Oh, all right, we'll save that one then. So back to you then, Chris. Back to me. Right, then, sticking sticking with Man U. I seem to be having a bit of a dig at Man U tonight. I don't mean to. Um, Terry Cook. Oh, you can't speak about a champ manager legend like that. <laughs> he was a champ manager legend. He was legend. absolutely amazing on champ manager legend. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys always were shocked there. First player I signed every time I loaded that game up, Terry Cook. <laughs> he he was the one of the members of the class of '92. Obviously known known for um, being a, a silky right winger with bags of pace and tricks and skills. On his debut for Man United, he assisted goal for Ryan Giggs versus Bolton in 95 and actually was a voted Young Player of the Year at Man United that year. Due to Beckham's rise, he found first-team opportunities hard to come by and had a couple of loans but was sold to Man City for £1 million. At that time, they were in the old second division. Uh, so he was a, a big success at Man, Man City and was dropped um, so they, they didn't have to pay the add-ons. So they just paid his original transfer fee, even if he did help them get promoted, which I thought was a really harsh thing to do. Uh, but they were apparently penny um, scrimping. Um, so after various loans, he went to Grimsby, but fell out the, mani- fell out the manager there. And with the addition of club great John Oster, that meant he was surplus to requirements. He then played a season at Chef Wednesday, helped them survive relegation, and then made the move to the States to play for Colorado Rapids. The highlight of his four-year stay there was a 4-0 victory over David Beckham's LA Galaxy. He scored um, one goal and assisted two. This was in 2008 and got one over his old colleague, And um, he then moved on to North Queensland Fury before finishing his career at Tony Adams's Gabala, an Azerbaijan team. Um, he was capped at under-21 level for England in 1996 as well. I just think that, again, another unfulfilled potential there where he was fantastic youth player, came through, came through there, Started well at Man United and they just didn't have enough space for him, did they? I mean, I've just spoken to two people that David Beckham's kicked out their position. <laughs> First Gillespie and then him and all that potential taken away. And I just think that it's a shame that he couldn't have got himself back. It. I think bad looks caused that as well, hasn't it? I think if Man City didn't have to pay add-ons, I'm sure he would have progressed up the leagues with them. But... <laughs> Um, just very unlucky by the sounds of things. Things just didn't, didn't go quite right. Messi was playing on Football Manager <laughs> by the sounds of things, lads. I'm going to put you on the spot with this one, Chris. How good do you think he could have been? How good do I think he could have been? From what I knew about him, I think he could have been a lower-end Premier League player. And I was quite surprised that he actually went down so many divisions. That was my, my opinion from what I've seen of him. There isn't too much to show 
what he what he was, but from what I saw, he, he definitely had the attributes at the time to be a Premier League player. Yeah, I don't think Man City was the right move for him away from United. No, no. I mean, what did you think? I mean, have you seen anything of him? Not a lot, to be honest. That's that's why I was uh, leaning yeah. on you a bit for opinion there. But um, it sounds like he should have gone. He should have aimed for that first move to be yeah. a lower end Premier League. It might be his own ambition as well. He might have thought that he might have had it knocked out of him at Man United because obviously there's quite a big gap before he made his debut from 1992 youth team to then making his debut in October 95. You know, you just don't know regular football and everything. If it was promised that, maybe he just thought he'd take the risk. But Yeah, I mean, look at Gillespie. He, um, he didn't make many appearances for Man United. He went to Newcastle and he, he took the ball with both hands, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not a player I know much about in real life. I just know him from computer games. <laughs> can't, really, can't really base my judgment on because there's so many of them. All right, okay. Uh, Dan, what is your number six? All right, number six. I've gone for Matt Janssen, another football manager. He was one that I was considering. But I know him from Football Manager. Oh, okay. Blackburn, is it? Well, he started his career at Carlisle oh, like. United. And um, he only got uh, 10 goals in 42 games there. But he turned heads and uh, Crystal Palace and Man United came in for him. Uh, he decided not to join Man United because he didn't see that he was going to get any first-team football there. He joined Crystal Palace in 1998 for a fee of £1 million from Carlisle. Finally, a kid that saw sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, in his first season with Crystal Palace, um, in the top five, he got 10 goals in 26 games. Um, Crystal Palace were relegated. He couldn't stop them from being relegated, but he got a move to Blackburn Rovers for £4 million. Uh, Blackburn, again, they were relegated in his first season with them. But um, they won promotion back to the Premier League in the 2000-2001 season. And uh, Janssen was considered one of the stars of the team. He got 23 goals and was the division's second highest scorer that year. Uh, back in the Premier League, he continued to impress. He got uh, the first goal in Blackburn's 2-1 League Cup final victory over Tottenham in 2002. And his good form actually led to an England call-up for a friendly against Paraguay just before the 2002 World Cup. Unfortunately, though, he came down with a, a stomach bug and he was unable to make a first-team appearance to England that time. Uh, he had the final game of the season against Liverpool that year. And Sven Goran Eriksson had told Graham Souness to make sure that Matt doesn't get injured because he's going to be named in the World Cup squad. But don't tell him. So Graham Souness came straight up to Janssen and said, by the way, don't get injured because you're playing in the World Cup squad tomorrow. Sven has just told me. <laughs> Typical Souness. <laughs> yeah. Classic so, management style of Graham Souness <laughs> at Yeah, so on the way home, Janssen was listening to the radio uh, announcing the squad, and to his shock, his name wasn't announced. What transpired is that um, Sven's assistant, Tor Grip, on the final day of the season, he'd watched the Arsenal versus Man United game, where Arsenal had uh, won 1-0 to claim the Premier League title. And he was uh, so taken back by Martin Kieran's performance that he insisted that he had to go to the tournament as part of Sven's squad. And Sven, unfortunately, had to make way with letting Janssen go and being the man to miss out. 
Oh, wow. Uh, Jansen decided to go on holiday to Italy that summer instead. And as it transpired, he was involved in a serious motorcycle accident, which nearly killed him. He was in a yeah, coma for six days. I remember that. So he made a full recovery um, physically, but mentally he just never regained the same belief. And he admitted as much in many interviews. And he became a journeyman striker when working his way down through the leagues. So unfortunately, that twist of fate where Keown was selected ahead of him and didn't play a minute in that World Cup, by the way. And Janssen uh, suffered badly because of that. So yeah, my memories of Janssen is that he, he was one of these players, again, where he had, um, he had great balance, great vision, great awareness. He, he always knew when to do nothing, which was a really rare ability. Um, it was such a different type of player. And I think... Um, a lot of people saw him as like the natural successor to Teddy Sheringham in that role as being a little bit of a maverick of a, of a forward. I think he had a really important role to play for English football, but then it just never happened. It was a cruel twist of fate. Oh, good one, that. Yeah, I remember him. I remember the motorcycle accident. I remember watching a lot of him play, actually, when he was at Blackburn. Um, it was a it was a real uh, favourite of mine to watch. They had, they had an exciting team then with uh, Janssen, Dunn and Duff all, all in the prime. Okay, my number six, uh, possibly higher on yours, is uh, Adele Tarrant. Number three. I've not put him on my list. I did consider him. Are we saving that one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Back to you then, Chris. Giles Barnes. Who? Giles Barnes, you never heard of him? No. <laughs> right, okay. He made his debut in 2005 as a sub for Derby under Phil Brown, age 17, in the League Cup. Shortly after signing a professional contract with them, he struggled with first-team appearances with Phil Brown in charge when he got such as replaced by youth team coach Terry Wesley knew how he played from his time in the youth team and then let him, let him be to his go-to guy that helped him from missing relegation to division one his performances alert alerted premier league teams to him apparently he was trapped by everton man united newcastle and even juventus there's even a seven million offer by west ham which was declined they made parallels of him and gaza by the way that he plays and was a wonder kid and football manager and the newest England star. He signed a four-year contract with Derby when he turned 18 and helped them get promoted in 2007 to the Premier League and winning Youth Player of the Year award. Unfortunately, injuries blighted his time at Derby and struggled in the Premier League, which prompted loan moves to Fulham and moving to West Ham. West Brom, sorry, not West Ham. But only managed 23 games due to a change of manager and Mr Hodgson coming in. In 2011, Barnes signed for Doncaster. His career began to get back on track, with Everton, Swansea and West Ham again chasing his signature in the summer of 2012. However, in a shock move, he decided to go to Houston Dynamos. He made 100 appearances in four years and was even captain before he made moves to fellow MLS teams Vancouver and Orlando City where he didn't enjoy as much success he has since moved to Leon in uh, Mexico 
Colorado Rapids and Indian team Hyderabad FC. And he's still only 32 years old now. He was an England under-19 um, player in 2006, playing 12 games, scoring seven goals before changing allegiance to Jamaica, where he's now made 15 caps. That's why I put him at my number five. He's going all out. All the big clubs were calling for him as an attacking midfielder. Um, very good on the ball. Sort of had a fantastic awareness. But yeah, didn't quite work out for him due to, to injuries. Um, yeah, so that's why I put him there. Again, he probably was a bit too early in his, in his shelf life, probably. But to be making those moves and obviously injuries affected him slightly. So, yeah. Mm. Does that ring any bells to you or can you still not remember him? None at all, if I'm honest. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But I got you a real obscure one then. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris. But yeah, if all those clubs are chasing him when he was at Doncaster, then he must have been a quality player. But yeah, he then decided to go to MLS. Again, another one (laughs) of... Fair enough to the guy. I vaguely, vaguely remember the name. That's literally about it. Okay, Dan, what you got? Well, I don't know how to pronounce this name properly. I'm honest. Um, but Josh McCreckran. Oh yeah. Oh, just, just he's Brentford, isn't he? Ex Chelsea. That's it. So, yeah, he is. Um, Chelsea youth team product. He was uh, in 2010 a member of England's under 17 World Cup winning squad. And then 2010, the manager Carlo Ancelotti decided to give him his debut, and utilize him in a deep midfield role. And he went on to make 17 appearances in his debut season. Uh, Ray Wilkins and Stuart Pearce commented on his incisive passing. Andre Villas-Boas and Brendan Rodgers, they both were impressed by his vision on the pitch, his technical abilities, and they compared him to the likes of Luka Modric, Jack Wilshere and Samir Nasri. Uh, In recognition of his performances, uh, he was awarded the Chelsea Young Player of the Year Award in 2011. And it was reported that England manager Fabio Capello was monitoring his progress as an international call that might be on the cards. Uh, but in the following season under Villas-Boas, he only made uh, a couple of appearances, just five, and he was frozen out somewhat by the manager. Um, that prompted him to go on loan to other clubs. Uh, Swansea City, where he only made four appearances in 2012. Uh, the following season, he spent the whole season on loan at Middlesbrough, made 38 appearances. Uh, he impressed there, and he won their Young Player of the Year award. Uh, in, in 2013, he actually received an offer from Carlo Ancelotti again. At this point, he was the Real Madrid manager. Ancelotti said that McEachern could be England's answer to Andrea Perlo. Wow. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. So Ancelotti, um, he obviously saw something in this guy. But um, he didn't take him up on the offer. He stayed with Chelsea. He didn't get any first-team football at Chelsea. And more loan spells ensued. Uh, seven appearances at Watford, eight appearances at Wigan. And then he went to Vitesse in Holland and made 19 appearances uh, before he signed permanently for Brentford for £750,000. Uh, he, he never really uh, achieved his potential there. He did have some good spells, um, but then 
every time he got into some good form in the team, he seemed to get injured. Uh, 2019, he moved to Birmingham City on a free transfer. Uh, again, he got injured and missed uh, most of the season and made only eight appearances. And in 2021, he signed for MK Dons on a free transfer. So, yeah, he's gone from being England's Perlo to MK Dons' Josh McEachran. <laughs> I was always a fan of him. I remember watching him quite early on at Chelsea. I thought, well, this, this guy is actually quite a good player. And again, I, I remember him being quite good on FIFA. Um, <laughs> I know you can't judge players on that, but yeah, it's certainly a name that I know of. And I always hoped he'd, he'd, he'd do well. Yeah, he had something. Uh, I just didn't see any development, though, unfortunately. He didn't get yeah. any better um, from that initial glimpse of talent, sadly. Yeah. MK Dons isn't the worst club he can play for. No, no. I hope he, hope he goes on to be successful there. Right, and my number five, no doubt it's probably higher on your list. <laughs> I'll skip another go. Uh, I've gone with Michael Johnson. No, because I mentioned him before a long while yeah. back. So. Yeah, I've not included him for that reason as well. Yeah, I mean, I only really included him just because I felt like I had to. Um, yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'll keep it brief because obviously we've spoken about it before. <laughs> um, so obviously he was tipped to be this you know, whiz kid at Man City coming through the youth system. Um, he sort of walked into the first team and it was like, he'd, you know, it was just completely seamless. Um, he was handed the number six jersey quite early on and he was expected to be this sort of mainstay in the middle of the park for City for the next decade or so. Um, and they even rejected a, a big money offer from Liverpool even when he was still a teenager. Uh, but unfortunately, um, it was just, he got hit by injuries and then he had personal problems. He had double hernia operation. Um, and he never quite regained his fitness. And then obviously the Abu Dhabi lot turned up to take over and he found himself down the pecking order, big, big money names. Uh, so his final appearance for Man City was 2009. It was just his fourth competitive appearance in, in five seasons with the club. And he retired mid twenties to various, obviously personal demons. He ended up working as a state agent. Wow. It's, it's just such a shame, you know, like, like we've spoken about before, he had all this talent and mm. all the injuries got to him and he turned to the drink or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's a real shame. I remember when he moved to Leicester and I was like quietly quite excited to see how he would get on, but he just was out of shape and everything, wasn't he? Yeah, he didn't make any impact whatsoever. But I remember his first season at Man City, there was so much hype around him. There was yeah. talk about him being a key figure for England as well because yeah. he was such a driving force in that midfield. Yeah. All right. Well, back to you then, Christopher. Okay. Another one of a bit of an obscure one, guys. But hopefully, you might have heard of this one. Fingers crossed. John Bostock. Ah, that's my number three. Cool. Do you want me to do it now, mate, or you want to wait until? No, nah, let me do that one because you've got yeah. all my other two to do yet. Yeah. <laughs> No worries. Lovely. Let me do At one of them. I was a bit concerned after the Giles Bars one, whether anyone might have heard of that one. But no, no, I know all about John Bostock. Yeah, cool. All right, number four. I've gone for one of your favourites, Chris. Go on. Nicholas Bentner. 
Hey, oh. he's retired today. Yeah. He's retired from football today. He must have been in the stars, mate. <laughs> Don't think he's played for two years, but yeah, he's retired today. <laughs> I did seriously consider him, but um, I decided to leave him off in the end. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't understand why. Um so yeah, I'll I'll introduce it. He's uh he scored 45 goals in 171 appearances for Arsenal. He's won a Serie A title with Juventus. He's won the German Cup with Wolfsburg. And he scored 30 goals in 81 games for Denmark. And he's their eighth all-time top goal scorer. He's also awarded the Danish Football of the Year Award in 2009. So why is he on my list for unfulfilled potential? <laughs> well... When he first emerged at Arsenal, he was a very versatile uh, player, could play in several attacking positions, and his preferred role was a centre-forward, but it was also used on either flank. Uh, he was considered a promising but undisciplined player in his youth, which um, you also see into his adulthood as well. Uh, a player blessed with fabulous all-round talents, quick, intelligent, uh, a hard-working striker, on the football pitch, uh, good positional sense, good first touch, good tactical awareness, an ability to score goals, hold the ball up, and create chances for others. So really, he had absolutely everything you'd look for in a forward. Uh, former manager Arsene Wenger, he labelled Bentner as potentially an unstoppable striker, described him as uh, being good in the air, good technique, good stature, good pace, good link-up play, and saying he had it all in the locker. So despite this talent and despite his confidence in his own abilities, Bentner often struggled with injuries and that limited his match fitness. He was criticised in the media for perceived arrogance. Um, once he, in 2010, he famously claimed to be amongst the world's best strikers. Uh, he was also criticised for his uh, general mentality, his inconsistency and his off-the-field antics. Uh, this included... Um, a load of social media posts as Lord Bentner, where he just uh, basically portrayed silliness and got up to no good on purpose. All of these things added up to him having distractions and failing to live up to his potential. Uh, in 2009, he was uh, pictured being escorted out of a nightclub with his trousers fallen down. This was on the night that Man United knocked Arsenal out of the Champions League. In 2011, he suffered with gambling addiction while injured and lost £400,000 in a single night playing roulette. He was banned for one match and handed an £80,000 fine by UEFA in 2012 for promoting a betting company during a goal celebration in Denmark. <laughs> in 2014, he was pictured leaving a nightclub at 4.30 in the morning after Bayern Munich had just knocked Arsenal out of the Champions League. Remember that. In 2018, he was sentenced to 50 days in jail after being convicted of assaulting a taxi driver in Copenhagen. The list was endless. This guy, he, uh, he just um, enjoyed the lifestyle too much. He enjoyed the money too much. He didn't knuckle down and achieve his potential because he had so much natural talent going for him. And even under Arsene Wenger, who had a lot of respects for Bentner, he just he was just never going to achieve his potential. And like I said, this is a guy who scored 30 goals for Denmark and he's played for all those top teams. But he could have been one of the greats. I can see. I, I think you give a very good argument for that, mate, to be honest. I think he's one to label under cult hero. 
<laughs> perhaps more than like legend or unfulfilled potential. He was just a cult hero. The Arsenal fans <laughs> loved him. I think the Arsenal fans genuinely loved him. I lovable road watching him play. Yeah, like, oh, a lot of Bentner scored. Wee. I mean, and antics, the antics were funny. I did enjoy them, if I'm honest. But um, I enjoyed watching him play. I thought he had so much natural talent. And when he when he chose to turn it on, it was great. It was great to watch. <laughs> to, to be fair, though, his, his figures aren't that terrible, are they? No, at all? no they're not at all. As well, at all. I'm surprised with how good the figures actually are. So if if he'd have tried, imagine That's how good he would have been. Yeah. <laughs> That's without putting any like, training or doing whatever. Wow. He's a lord, Chris. He can do what he likes. <laughs> <laughs> I also read that uh, I think there was a Danish newspaper who were big fans of his social media account and they actually bought him a piece of land in Scotland. So he was officially Lord Bentner at that point. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> All right. Well, that leads me on nicely to my number four, uh, which is another former Arsenal player, Jack Wilshire. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. 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 He was uh, dubbed the next Paul Gascoigne um, at the age of just 16 years and 255 days. He made his Arsenal debut as a substitute in the Premier League match against Blackburn, September 2008. Um, and he made sort of the odd appearance over a couple of seasons. He spent part of 09-10 on loan at Bolton. Um but then a pre-season friendly in 2010 led The Guardian to report at the time that Wilshire was showing uh, a level of control and composure that defied belief given his youth. <laughs> and there can be no doubting the potential of the player. 2010-2011, uh, he made his breakthrough season, turning in a number of eye-catching performances for the Gunners. He played 49 matches in all competitions, and everyone thought a star was born. <clears throat> And, and seven years later, I mean, Wilshire hasn't managed something like 35 appearances in the season since. I know he's been played with injuries and and yeah, he had pretty much two seasons wiped out in his mid-twenties. But he's he's had this sort of... Again, he's another one that seems to have a bit of an attitude problem. Uh, he's been involved in a number of high-profile incidents. Uh, apparently, he spat at a taxi driver who was wearing a Tottenham hat. Uh, he's been accused of perhaps not looking after himself. He's been pictured having a you know, cheeky cigarette every now and then. Um, he just hasn't quite found that consistency and that rhythm. I mean, we all remember the Barcelona game where he tore it up, and we all remember that England game where he's come it was against. Was it Slovakia where he scored two goals? Yeah, Slovakia, Slovenia. But he, he just he's never quite taken the game by the scruff of a neck. Um, he had two relatively injury-free campaigns in 2012 and 2014, between 2012 and 2014. Um, but yeah, like I said, he then, where's he been? West Ham, Bournemouth. He's not, I mean, where's he now? He's not, he's, he's nowhere. He just got moment. released. Yeah. He just got released from Bournemouth again, just, didn't they? It, they didn't go up. All, so. the, all the talent he seems to have, and we've all seen it, he just, he's never quite got going. For me, no. and it's a real shame. It's I think it's one of those cases, isn't it, where he, he was that good, that young, that it's just about giving, having someone to like help him through the path. Because obviously, he was easily led, probably to do things he shouldn't do. 
I think more of him is probably down to his fitness rather than anything else. He's, he's, he's always yeah. not one of these that's gone somewhere young on like big money and gone to Man City and died a death. He's mm. he stayed at Arsenal for a long time. It, it just yeah, he, for all the hype, I remember uh, all mm-hmm. the Arsenal fans banging on about him. Yeah, I don't feel I've seen enough of it. No, not really. Just in brief glimpses, isn't it? And he's probably what 20, 27, 28 now. Still yeah, got, yeah. still got he's, it there to do, time, isn't it? I don't think we'll see him back in no. top flight. Well, not not like the top 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 of the top flight again. Shame though, isn't it? Yeah, but do you think he could have got much better? I think he could have been more consistent. I think he had the talent. He definitely had the yeah. talent. I, oh, he definitely had it. I think if he perhaps concentrated on his fitness and his maybe his attitude a little bit, he could have he could have got better. I don't think he had the drive to want to be the best. No. no. Then I suppose he was he was part of that Arsenal team that was. Petering out under Wenger as well, which probably didn't help. Mm. Sort of the end of the Arsenal, the Arsenal Wenger era, and you think, you know, maybe had he been around at the start of the Arsenal Wenger regime, he might have kicked on a bit. Yeah, there were a few locker room leaders back then that probably would have helped. I mean, here's an amazing stat though: he still made 34 England appearances. Oh, I, that's quite amazing. I thought it'd be a lot less than that, but well, I thought that about Ross Barkley. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're on to Chris's number three. Abdul Tarap. Go on then. I'll start him off. So he was signed for Spurs from Lons. Um, initially on loan, but then for 3.6 million. But only play 13 games in three years. Uh, seemed to struggle um, with first team opportunities and just with the culture there. He went first on loan at QPR after a good spell was bought for just over £1 million. The following season, QPR uh, won promotion to the Prem with Tabat playing a massive role, scoring 19 times and assisting 21 times winning the league's, per, league's Player of the Year and was also in the Champions Team of the Year. In the first season with QPR in the Prem, it was linked with a move to PSG, Napoli, and lost the captain's armband, which had settled in and struggled for form. Yeah, they gave it to Joey Barton. <laughs> yeah. That's enough to unsettle anyone. I know, not what Joey Barton did. Started on the whole of Man City's team that season as well, didn't they? <laughs> Class act. <laughs> uh, back then went on loan to Fulham, but then got re- relegated. Went back to QPR, but then manager Harry Redknapp was not happy, especially after a reserve match. Um, that Tabat was not injured. He's not fit. He's not fit to play football, unfortunately. He played in a reserve game the other day, and I could have ran more than he did. It was hardly a ring endorsement and would later be followed by the manager declaring that Tabat was three stone overweight. <laughs> that from Harry Redknapp, of course, a health uh, officiator. <laughs> that was uh, the beginning of the end for Tabat. He went on loan to Milan. 
Uh, Tabat then signed a long-term deal with Benfica in 2015, but during pre-season claims that he was a couple of stone overweight again uh, and begged clubs to sign him. The president at the time advised that he would never play for Benfica ever again. Tabat then went on loan, this time to Genoa in Syria for a season and made 22 appearances. He's currently back back at Benfica, but he's playing more of an anchor role in midfield and has been in and out of the team. At his best, he was almost unplayable, but maybe had a bit of a lack, lack of temperament and self-confidence, which has led to him being so high on our list. Yeah. Any more to add there, aren't No, not really. I think you've covered it perfectly, mate, to be honest. It's just such a, again, another waste of talent and lack yeah. of... Attitude and ambition, I think. Lack of drive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, quite unprofessional, really. Yeah. But no, it's a good pick, guys. I like that one. All right, Dan, who you got at number three? All right, number three. I've gone for Saido Berahino. Oh, okay. I actually completely forgot all about him. I did as well. I think it must have been because of his... uh, Time at Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get on to that. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll start from the very beginning. Um, age 10, he fled his native Burundi after his father was killed and he received political assignment in Birmingham. He couldn't relocate his family on arrival, so he was put into a care home until eventually his mother was traced. Uh, following a DNA test to confirm their relationship. It was then um, very quickly recognised uh, his talent playing football, and he was signed up by West Bromwich Albion just a year later at the age of 11. Um, so he went through the youth setup there, and um, he was sent out on loan to some lower league teams. In 2011, he went to Northampton, scored six goals in 14 games. And he went to Brentford, scored four goals in eight games. And then Peterborough United, where he got two goals and 10 appearances. Uh, going into the 2013-14 season, uh, West Brom had seen Lukaku's loan spell come to an end and Peter Odin Wingy had fallen out of favour with the club. So manager Steve Clark had suggested that Berahino could become the club's main striker. Uh, Berahino rose to the challenge and he scored a hat-trick in a League Cup game against Newport. And he also got the winning goal at Old Trafford. So he quickly established himself in the first team that season. Uh, The following season, there was his breakout year in 2014-15. And that season, he scored 20 goals in 45 appearances in all competitions, 14 of those in the Premier League. And he won the club's Player of the Year award at West Brom too that year. In 2014, he was called into the England squad by Roy Hodgson, although he did not make an appearance. Uh, by this stage, he had been a regular in the under-21 setup, and he'd scored 11 goals in 12 appearances for the England under-21s. Uh, West Brom were considering offering a new deal worth £50,000 a week, but then the club quickly pulled out of negotiations after Berahino was arrested on suspicion of drink driving. Still only 22 at the time, though. At the start of the 2015-16 season, Spurs showed some interest in him. West Brom didn't want to sell the star striker and they rejected a bid of £15 million, valuing him at £25 million. The club rejected Berahino's transfer request 
and a further three bids for the player resulted in Berahino tweeting that he would never play for the club again. His conduct saw him drop from the matchday squad by Tony Pulis. And between the end of October that season and the end of the calendar year, he didn't play a single match. Pulis said, he's lucky to be on the bench, never mind starting. He's a smashing kid, but he lets himself down sometimes. In the January transfer window, bids continued to come in for Berahino although West Brom were now rejecting offers of £21 million from the likes of Newcastle. It wasn't until 26th of February 2016 that Berahino finally apologised for threatening to go on strike at West Brom. These off-the-field issues had actually come to affect his game on the field as well. Uh, Against Watford, he managed to miss two penalties in a single match, and he only managed four Premier League goals in 31 appearances that season. Uh, Going on to the next season, at the start of the 16-17 season, West Brom were again rejecting offers for Berahino, this time £17 million from Stoke and Crystal Palace. Berahino at this point was disillusioned with West Brom not allowing him to leave. And uh, it was also assigned extra fitness training by West Brom, who claimed that he was £8 overweight at this point. Berahino then uh, lashed back saying that he was overweight because he felt depressed at not being allowed to leave the club. And this had affected his fitness. It was in January 2017 where West Brom finally accepted a bid, this time from Stoke City, for £15 million. Shortly into Berahino's spell at Stoke, Mark Hughes revealed that he'd actually served a ban for failing a drugs test at West Brom. And that was the reason why he wasn't making appearances there. So Berahino, he quickly uh, responded to these findings by saying that his drink was spiked. (laughs) <laughs> Don't know if I believe that one. Berahino actually went 31 games without scoring a goal for Stoke City. And then against Southampton, he won a penalty. He took the penalty, but Fraser Forster saved it. At February 2018, Berahino had gone two years without a league goal. And Mark Hughes was long gone by this point and been replaced by Paul Lambert. And due to disciplinary issues, Berahino found himself training within the 23 teams. He didn't play again that season, and Stoke were relegated. 2018, Berahino scored in a League Cup match against Huddersfield, and this ended a drought of 913 days without a goal. 2019, in February, he was arrested for drink driving, and Stoke City suspended him without pay for the remainder of the season. They uh, undertook legal proceedings, and uh, eventually they terminated his contract. He was then signed up by the Belgian team Zulte Varagem. And then after one season there, he was sent out on loan to another Belgian team, Charleroi. That's where he is currently. So this guy just went off the rails massively, is <laughs> my assessment of all that. And um, I mean, I remember, his, I think the stat they were saying about is, you know, he had that really good Premier League season. Didn't yeah. he score all his goals in the first half of the season? Well, wow. <laughs> it, it definitely got the ball cover the first half, yeah. Yeah, but what a fall from grace, eh? Yeah, I, um, I completely forgot all about him. Completely, this is a very good pick. Yeah, we just don't know how good he could have been because he was um, he was lashing the goals in under twenty one level, and then he had that great season at West Brom, and then 
he had some difficulties, obviously. He wanted to leave and move on to bigger and better things, which is good. He wants to move for the right reasons. But then if the club don't want to sell him, you've got a contract with the club and you've got to be professional. And he just didn't have him in him to be a good professional, did he? No. no. no but it's also the club that he grew up in, in as well, though, isn't it? It's like his hometown club almost, wasn't it? Yeah, from the age of 10 onwards, yeah. You'd always think there's some sort of loyalty there, wouldn't you? But Still playing. He's now um, given up on his hopes of playing for England. He represents Burundi at international level. <laughs> for the solitary goal, his travel oh. appearances, I see. <laughs> Hopefully it's not a penalty. Obviously, he's not very good at that. <laughs> All right, so my number three, I had John Bostock. Where was he for you, Chris? Uh, number four for me, mate. All right. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll start and you can fill in the blanks. Yeah. So he began his career, I mean, we started at Crystal Palace at the age of five. Um, and by the age of 14, he was offered a contract by Barcelona. But he um, he didn't take it. He made his debut for Palace uh age of 15 years, 287 days, playing 20 minutes in, as a substitute against Watford. And he, he made him Palace's youngest ever player. He then became Palace's youngest ever player to start a game on the 6th of November 2007 against Cardiff. Anyway, in, in 30th of May 2008, Tottenham announced that they'd signed him on their club website. Uh, Palace issued statement saying that this wasn't true there's been no agreement reached with Tottenham um, eventually they entered negotiations and obviously couldn't be reached so it went to a tribunal and Tottenham were paid 700,000 for him with add-on payments of up to 1.25 million depending on appearances and a further 200,000 should he make a full international debut so he made his first team debut for Spurs in an 8-0 pre-season win over Spanish side Tavernas, he made his competitive match in a UEFA Cup game against Dynamo Zagreb, coming on as a substitute. And he became the youngest ever player to play for Spurs at the age of 16 years, 295 days. He made two further appearances in that cup that year. However, his career at, career at Tottenham stalled after that, and he had to wait till January 2012 for his next appearance in an FA Cup against Cheltenham. He then just became one of these that went on 20,000 low moves. He went to Brentford, Hull, Sheffield Wednesday, Swindon. Uh, he even went to Toronto. Um, and eventually he got released by Tottenham after his contract had come to an end. And he signed for Royal Antwerp in Belgium. He, he played a right in, in Belgium. He made 16 assists and scored one goal. He then moved on to OH Leuven. And then after a couple of years there, he went on to Lons. Again, he sort of did all right at Lons, and then he went to Turkey, did all right there, and then he went back to Toulouse. Uh, and that was it, really. I think he's currently at Doncaster Rovers. But for someone who was touted by Barcelona at the age of 14, 15, I don't think his career has really taken off the way that everyone thought it would. Yeah. Feel free to chip in there, Chris. Yeah, I mean, at his time at Palace, right, the chairman... Simon Jordan, which you know is pretty extrovert. Anyway, um, but Bostock and his agent, who was his stepdad, 
were like massive Palace fans and they had a season ticket. And he basically was that angry that he moved, that he like basically like cancelled it and he banned them from going to Salah's Park ever again. <laughs> That's how bad, not just the like, not just the, the agent, the, the man who's obviously arranged it, but even the 15-year-old lad. <laughs> that, that like, he's not even an adult, but he just thought he was at fault as well. So he took took a bit of took it a bit personally. Um, Surely if he was playing for the club, he shouldn't need a season ticket. <laughs> and I think it's for his mates as well, bless him and all that, you know. He's 15. <laughs> Um, and when he moved to OH Haveron, he, he won player of the season, scoring 13 goals and providing 19 assists. And he also won player of the year in League Two when he was at Lons. Um, and at the age of 29, he has never made more than 60 appearances at any one club. Just shows what a journeyman he was a bit. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. All right, Chris, what's your number two? Uh, Mr. Pennant, do you want me to start? And if you've got any other additions? Yeah, Yeah, go on. Right then, so he was signed at the age of 15 by Arsenal from Notts County for two million. A club record fee for a trainee at the time. Was the youngest ever player to make his debut at 16 years old and 319 days in 1999. Um, for Arsenal at that time, which I think has now been beaten. He scored a hat-trick on his full league debut before Wenger lost his patience with his off-the-pitch antics and sent him back on loan to Birmingham. His Birmingham stink started well and earned a full-time move, however was arrested and convicted of drink driving and driving without insurance, went to prison for three months. The Birmingham manager then, Steve Bruce, stood by him but Pennant's struggles on and off the pitch didn't help Birmingham stay in the Prem. Amazingly, Pennant's next move was to Liverpool for £8 million in July 06. And after a great run of form, he became annoyed with the lack of international call-ups from the, the then England manager, Steve McLaren. After several disagreements and disciplinary issues with Rafa, Pennant was allowed to leave. Pennant had said that Wenger and Rafa Benitez were the reason for his non-progression as he was an English player, which I thought was a very strange reason. Uh, Pennant went then on loan to Portsmouth and then went and then moved to Spanish team where Zaragoza. But the similar problems appeared, turning up for late for training three times in the space of two weeks. He was sent home on the third occasion and disciplined by Zaragoza. There was also the story that he forgot his Porsche in Spain when he moved back to Stoke at the time on, on the loan. He made a permanent signing at Stoke for £2.8 million and started to let the football do the talking until he broke curfew twice and was sent on an unsuccessful loan to Wolves. He was released in 2014, moves to Pune, Wigan, Tampane and Berry and finished his career at Billericay, apparently on three grand a week there before he then retired in 2018. And that's just a brief cover-up of all the 
S-storm that he's created during his career. I'm sure I'll, I'll kind of add on to that. I haven't got a great deal. I mean, he was just another one of these that kind of got a bit of money and got a bit big too soon, really. Um, but there was an incident in 2004, which you didn't mention, where he wrapped his car around a lamppost and he told the police officer arrest him that his name was Ashley Cole. <laughs> um, so he actually ended up having to play with a, um electronic tag on his leg as a result of this. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I mean yeah. the poor. I mean the Porsche story just always just rings. Like he left an eighty or ninety grand Porsche parked in somewhere in Spain when he's actually left Spain to go back to England. He said he um, forgot he owned the car, didn't he? Apparently, yeah. That he forgot he owned a Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I guess when you've got a bit of bunny, you probably do forget your own certain things. Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> right, Dan, what's your number two? Uh, number two, I've gone for Ricardo Caresma. Okay. Oh, yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, so Caresma, uh, he, he was once described as a mercurial and enigmatic talent. He was known for his flair and uh, his incorporating of a repertoire of tricks into his style of play, including the Rabona and the Travella, which is the bending of the shot with the outside of the foot. A winger that could play on either flank. He had crossing ability, creativity, dribbling skills, good technique and poise on the ball. And he had lots of speed and finesse that could cause a problem for any defence. He started off his career at Sporting Lisbon and he made 59 appearances for them between 2001 and 2003. In 2003, he was snapped up by Barcelona as a, an exciting prospect. They paid 6 million euros for him. He made 10 starts and 12 substitute appearances at Barcelona in his first season with them before he fell out with manager Frank Rijkaard over his playing time. And he stated publicly that he will not play for Barcelona again as long as Rijkaard remains in charge. He was valued at 6 million euros again, and he moved on to Porto. Um, it was used as a bargaining chip, though, to bring Deco into Barcelona from Porto. So it was uh, 6 million pounds he was valued at, but they also paid another 15 million to Porto. He had a good spell at Porto, though. He scored 24 goals in 114 appearances over a four-year period. And Inter Milan then splashed out to 18.6 million pounds to bring him to Italy. In his debut match there, he assisted a goal using his trademark Travella. However, he started to find opportunities difficult to come by. And manager Jose Mourinho quoted, he's a great talent, but the joy I've seen in the way that Ibra works, uh, I don't see the same joy with Caresma. He will have to learn, otherwise he won't play. And I'm sure he'll change. He'll become more tactically disciplined. At the end of the season, Charisma was given the Bidon Doro Award, which translates to the Golden Bin, being the worst <laughs> footballer in the Italian top division. Wow. <laughs> he was then shipped off on loan to Chelsea, but he only made five appearances there. And the only good thing about the spell was that it made him eligible to go on this list. <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> uh, he then moved on to Turkey. Uh, he signed for Besiktas. 
Now, he enjoyed a good spell at Besiktas, and he helped them go on a run that lifted the Turkish Cup. Unfortunately, though, things turned sour again on the pitch. He had to be broken up from fighting with teammate Nihad Kaveci, who was upset over Karezma not passing the ball to him. A year later, he had an altercation with the manager Carlos Carvajal in the dressing room at half-time after the manager replaced him with Ismail Kobashi. Karezma reportedly began throwing water bottles in a stinging attack at the coach, saying, I brought you here. You just think of yourself. If I was not here, you would be not here. You can remove me from the match, but you're nothing. And then he was suspended indefinitely by the club following the incident. His time at Besiktas was up and he signed for Al-Alai before returning to Porto a year later. Now, when he returned to Porto, there were 10,000 supporters that came to watch his first day in training. So that gives you an idea of the cult status and the, the raw talent that this guy had and the skills that he shows when he plays. Got another good spell at Porto. And then he made a surprising return to Besiktas, which I don't think anyone thought was on the cards at that stage. When he returned to Istanbul, he was greeted at the airport by thousands of fans. He stated that his aim was to win the league with the team. And eventually this was achieved the following season. He played 227 times for Besiktas. He scored 38 goals, but assisted 78 in the process. He was regarded in the media as a highly promising young player, but his career was marred by inconsistency, uh, especially affecting his work rate, his mentality, his tactical discipline, his overall attitude. These were all questioned by his managers and the media. In 2017, a quote from Marco Montero of FIFA.com said that he was insanely talented, but equally temperamental. However, he was able to improve on these weaknesses as his career progressed. Now, looking at his uh, international career, he actually made 80 appearances for Portugal from 2003 till present day. He came on as a substitute in the 2016 final of the Euros as Portugal beat France to lift the trophy. There's a quote here from Jonathan Liu of the Daily Telegraph from Euro 2016. It said, the veteran Charisma is a more mature player these days, creative but reliable, unpredictable but disciplined, a man that will never be able to undo the past, but at least is showing signs of learning. So this one is where the guy's got incredible raw talent. He kind of squandered it through the, the early stages of career and then at the point where he's really past his prime, he started to mature a little bit and work for the team a little bit more. And he's had some uh, really good spells in his career as a result. But if he'd have just had that mentality and had some um, wise words in his ear at an early age, we could have seen someone that just exploded onto the scene like uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good shout. Always remember him to be very arrogant. Yeah. Just, uh, just remember just seeing him just walking around the pitch and just sort of like not really putting much effort in, <laughs> except for when the ball was at his feet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number two is Ravel Morrison. He's my number one. Thought he might be. Dan, number one? No, I've not been on the list. Oh. He's gone very, you're going very uh, diverted this with this list, haven't you? I don't Dan? think Dan's got a single Obscure. name. Chris. I thought we'd mentioned Ravel Morrison before on something. That's why I didn't put him on. Oh, possibly. I'll let you do this one, Chris, because hopefully Dan doesn't. Well, 
Dan probably has got my number one. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, no worries. Go uh, on, Chris. Tell us about Robert Morrison. Okay, so went through the Man United youth ranks and certainly thought he was the best player he's ever seen at the age that he was. Uh, he was in the youth team containing Jesse Lingard and Paul Pogba that won the Youth Cup in the 2010-11 season. Signed a professional contract at the age of 17. However, off-field antics did put this in doubt. In October 2011, Morrison made his first team debut in the League Cup, but struggled to make a break into first team contention. Only ended up with three appearances before joining West Ham in January 2020. Um, his mates out of football were a problem and, and several criminal convictions hovering, hovered over him at the time. Apparently, every appearance Morrison made for West Ham meant they would pay Man United 25000 in appearance money. And with his transfer fee of being only 650000 then Man U were going to get a very good deal out of this. West Ham sent Morrison on loan to Birmingham, who who played in the Championship at that time for more experience. In 2013, Morrison was back at West Ham playing in the first team and putting in quality performances, including a fantastic 50-metre solo run slash goal versus Spurs. It all went so sour for Morrison as he failed to turn back um, to London after playing Man United in a game in December and he stayed up north in Manchester with his mates and family and missed the festive uh, fixtures that year. He was shipped off to QPR a couple of months later and scored six goals in 17 appearances, winning them promotion to the Prem. But QPR manager Redknapp did grow frustrated with Morrison's often casual attitude on the pitch. He returned back, back to West Ham and then had an unsuccessful spell at Cardiff. At the beginning of 2015, he had a free transfer to Lazio. After a bright start, the same old problems started to happen with lack of effort on the pitch. This was followed by failed attempts at Atlas, Austin Sword, uh, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, Den Haag, and he's currently not at a club. Uh, Harry Redknapp did say about Revel Morrison, when he's on his game, he's fantastic. I really liked him as a boy. He's not a nasty boy. He has a bit of a reputation, but that's fine, though he could be a bit silly now and then. And at times, he has also been surrounded by silly people who haven't helped. Big Sam, who was manager at West Ham, also added on to this. From I think this was from his book. Was Rav had some pals from outside football. They'd come down from Manchester to lead him astray. Allardyce also notes that Revel Morrison had absolutely rotten teeth and concluded <laughs> he didn't take basic care of himself. <laughs> I mean, I like that. that is a proper Big Sam quote, isn't it? Coming from <laughs> Big Sam with the biggest belly you could ever see and him saying that you're not taking care of yourself. Brilliant. <laughs> I had to put that on there. I'll be honest with you, there were so many convictions that he's had or close calls that I could have added on but I just went quite limited with them to be honest. Don't know whether even, you want even to Fergie can you know even Fergie can sort him out. That says it all really doesn't yeah. it? I mean they bailed him out didn't he at Man United for a few of them. Yeah. Carried on but he went to West Ham Fergie apparently told Big Sam if you sort this lad out he'll have one of the best players you've ever had. But I think Fergie knew that even Big Sam weren't going to sort him out. 
You know, that goal against Spurs, though, absolute class. Go on then, Dan. Do you have the same number one as me? Mine's Bojan Kirkic. Oh, no, we are different. Go on then. A product oh, of the world-renowned <laughs> academy. <laughs> A similar stature, um, dribbling ability, technical ability, which seemed to be complemented by an high for goal. All of these reasons why he was uh, compared to Messi were clear to see in the early days. He made his uh, debut for Barcelona in La Liga, just 17 years old and 19 days. And that was a record previously held by Messi. Uh, three days later, he broke another record by becoming Barcelona's youngest player to feature in the Champions League when he came off the bench against Lyon in the group stages. In the 2007-8 season, he was the first player born in the 1990s to score in the Champions League. And the youngster just kept coming with um, with new records. So he got his his, uh, his 10 goals seeing him beat Raul's record for goals scored in a debut season in La Liga. However, uh, the sad truth of it is that um, that remains his most prolific season of his career. After 13 seasons, he's failed to reach double figures. Uh, he left Barcelona eventually in 2011 for 12 million after finding game time increasingly hard to come by with David Villa and uh, Pedro blocking his path to the first team. And he signed for Roma in Syria. Uh, he only had one season there and he made 33 appearances but failed to make an impact. And he was loaned out to AC Milan for the 2012-13 season. Uh, he made 19 appearances there and managed just three league goals and again failed to impress. He returned to Barcelona for a fee of £30 million pounds, uh, after Roma elected not to make the route permanent as it would have cost them €28 million Euros at that stage. So um, he was given another chance at Barcelona, but um, he failed to make an impact in the first team and was quickly loaned out again to Ajax this time. 24 appearances made for Ajax and he only got four goals for them. And this time at 2014, it was Stoke City who stepped up to sign him. And they got him for a cut price, 1.8 million. So he had five injury hit seasons at Stoke, where he got uh, seven goals in the 2015 season. And that was his best return in England. So he found it difficult to compete in the English league because of his slight physique. And he didn't really adapt well to the English game. And he wasn't too heavily involved in the play, often on the periphery of games and not able to make an impact. One theory is that he struggled immensely with the comparisons to Messi and he wasn't able to deal with the pressure. But uh, his inability to reach his potential in his early years, many think is down to his mental side of the game. He received a call up for the Spanish national squad in 2008, but he pulled out after he was citing that he wasn't well and had some personal reasons that he couldn't uh, stay with the squad for the whole of the tournament. Uh, he was called up again for the senior side in 2008 for a match against Armenia, and that's where he earned his solitary cap for the Spanish national team. It's a sad story, really. He had a lot of potential in the early days. He broke through so young, but uh, it seemed to be mental struggles, not able to uh, impose himself on games that his career eventually just drifted. Yeah. <laughs> He'd become a journeyman in football, and to flop at a side like Stoke after being a Barcelona player. It's a bit embarrassing and sad to watch. Yeah. Yeah, sad that one. Yeah, I think it's just being in his shadow, isn't it? Being in Messi's shadow. And then with everyone saying everything like, oh, yeah, you're going to be the new one. You, 
he you know comparisons to him i just think he couldn't deal with with it yeah i think it's so many failed loan spells he when i when i saw a lot of his play in england he just didn't have any belief anymore no so. clearly he couldn't cut it on a cold windy night in stoke could he <laughs> as they say <laughs> Uh, my number one. Have you heard of Billy Kenny? Yes, Everton. Yeah. So, are we going all the way back to the start of the nineties here? And Howard Kendall had just come back for his another stint with Everton, and he had this awful start to the season. Um, I don't think they scored a goal in the first couple of games, and he decided to give nineteen-year-old Billy Kenny his debut. Um, against Coventry and this was obviously long before the days of the internet and social media so you know there was no like oh he's the next big thing and you know like some of these other players we talked about this this lad was like as close to the complete midfielder that he could possibly get he had this great technical ability he had two great feet he used to be able to find space he could pick a killer pass he just had a bit of spark that this Everton team needed um and you just had this maturity for, for a 19 year old that some of the other players and teams didn't have uh, and it it prompted peter beardsley to dub him the goodison gaza um he wasn't just like this fancy kid either he was a bit tough and abrasive there was a um a game january 93 on a cold night in sellers park everything took on wimbledon and uh Vinnie Jones decided to give him a bit of a welcome in true Vinnie Jones style, clatter him in the first couple of minutes, <laughs> thinking that this lad wouldn't go anywhere near him for the rest of the game. Uh, except he did, because a couple of minutes later, there's a 50-50, and uh, Kenny clattered Vinnie Jones. And, and it was a fair tackle. Apparently, Kenny just picked himself up and ran off, and Vinnie Jones sat on the floor wondering what had hit him. And then the highlight of that season was when Everton played Liverpool at Goodison Park. And Liverpool had this midfield of John Barnes, Jamie Redknapp, Steve Manman, Don Hutchinson. Everton had a midfield of Ian Snodden, Barry Horn, Stuart Barlow and Billy Kenny. And Billy Kenny just ran the entire midfield. He gave, he gave he was absolutely unplayable, apparently. He gave man of the match, he got a man of the match performance. And it earned him an England on 21's call up. And everyone thought he was going to be the next big star. It wasn't to be the case because towards the end of the season he started to suffer from shin splints and he ended up having an operation in six months on the sideline. He was unable to train. He had more money than he knew what to do with. Um, he got a bit bored and he overindulged in alcohol and drugs. He was then soon addicted. And then when he came, finally came back to training, it was quite obvious he wasn't the player he, he was before he got injured. <clears throat> he was completely hooked on coke. He said he just needed it to get by. He was a complete mess. Eventually, he failed a drugs test, and Howard Kendall fined him two weeks' wages, and he was sent to rehab. Mike Walker then took over Everton, and he gave Kenny a final ultimatum. Um, Kenny didn't didn't heed any advice, and he was sacked at the end of the 93-94 season. Fortunately for Kenny, uh, ex-boss Joe Royal was manager of Oldham. Uh, he decided to throw him a lifeline. He gave him a trial, included a pre-season tour of Norway, made his debut for Oldham against Charlton. He made a couple of further appearances, um, <clears throat> which were actually to be his last of his professional career as he got injured and he then went AWOL from Oldham. 
and was sacked for the second time in his career. And then he eventually popped up again for Unibond Premier League side Barrow in 95. Um, and he was sent off in his second game after coming on a substitute. And then after one more appearance, he was then sacked by Barrow. And um, he was last heard of in 2002, playing for Royal Seaforth in the Frank Armit Liverpool County Decombination Division 1. Couldn't even tell you where that, that is in the pyramid. <laughs> and yeah, it's, you know, another one of these that started early, got a bit of money, got injured, got depressed or whatever, and turned to the, the drinks and drugs and blew it. And from everything I've read, I mean, I don't remember him that much. Um, he could have gone on to be an absolutely amazing player, but unfortunately, it's a shame. And you clatter Vinnie Jones and you get man of the match in the Merseyside derby. You must have something about you. Yeah, exactly. No fair. Yeah, it's a good one. Very good story and very well told. Should have been the good, the bad, the obscure, really, that one. <laughs> right, I think that about wraps up our top ten then. Any special mentions very quickly? Without going into uh, detail. Let's have a look. Yeah, I've got a couple. I've got... Uh... Ben Arthur from our um, Newcastle hat him. Yep. Uh, and I also got this one I was sitting on the fence with because I wasn't sure, but Daniel Stewage. Yeah. And mm. Andy Reid, the guy who went to Spurs from Forest. Dan, got any? Uh, yeah, a couple. Um, Yaya Sanogo. Oh, yeah, there's a name yeah uh, <laughs> yeah probably a debatable one to be honest but yeah I, I saw some good in him when I first saw him break onto the scene and then another one which um, he probably should have been on my list to be honest but I just ran out of steam to be, <laughs> with all the <laughs> notes I was taking down that was that Alexander Pato oh, oh yeah yeah I had, do you have any Anne? yeah I had Liam Miller Celtic Man United. Yeah. Because I remember him being quite shit hot in Scotland. And uh, Jack Butland. Yeah. Mm. I've got some uh, some ones off, off uh, Twitter as well. Oh yeah, what we got? I've got I've got a joke and jokey one first from our Man United fan Rodney McCain. And he said Ryan Giggs, but obviously he's just being stupid. He said he's got more gold than Fort Knox. And I was like, yeah. Um, Chris Kelly's come out with a couple. Um, the first one that he said was Makeda from Man United with the mm-hmm. wonder goal against Villa. Um, and then he actually put, uh, not his fault as injuries got the better of him, but find it a shame he never got, got to see the best of what Jack Collinson could have become as a footballer at West Ham. I think he could have been had a very good career in the game had things turned out differently. Totally agree. Uh, if you remember him. Sentiment. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Um, then we've got from the 11 podcast. They've actually done this before as well on their podcast. So do you want me to give you their starting 11? Because they did yeah, the yeah. potential 11. So in goal 
is right, so I'm assuming that's Richard, right? Then they got, I think, Justin Hoyt, Philippe Christenbaugh, Michael Maneshi, Royston Drencher. Can't <laughs> be Royston. You've already <laughs> mentioned him, though. Giovanni Dos Santos. Oh, yeah. Raval Morrison, we said. Stephen Ireland. Jules Derrida. Then Adriano and Fran- Franny Jeffers up front. And they also gave us, anyway, um, Jordan Ibe. Oh, yeah. Obviously from uh, Liverpool to Bournemouth, wasn't it? And 15 million. I think he was at Derby last time I saw him. And then Dan Wade had put um, Raval Morrison. Okay, and another shout-out we've got from the 80s and 90s football. That is a few suggestions. Francis Jeffers, Michael Johnson, Raval Morrison. But we'll go for Jack Rodwell. So promising at Everton, went to Man City too soon, nearly bankrupted Sunderland with his wages. Should have been an England player for years. Yeah, totally agree with that one. <laughs> yeah. And then the Stu and Al pod have done one each. Alex has said Michael Owen. Ooh. I'm not sure I fully agree with that. He's a Ballon d'Or winner for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after he never reached his full potential after leaving Liverpool. Not hundred percent sure there, Al. And then Stu has said Jack Rodwell. Yeah. Uh, we've spoken about Rodwell's had more mentions on this podcast than he's made appearances for Sheffield United and Sunderland combined, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Just to, to let you everyone know that I've actually um, did a, a s- small pod with them on 90s football England team, the first eleven. There was booze involved, but we were socially distanced. By the time this is released, it will be out. I'm more insulted they asked you about 90s football, Chris. I know. But they said they asked you, but you weren't available, and they asked Dan, and I was their last choice. So oh, I need to check my junk folder then. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But yeah, it was an interesting chat. Give it a listen when you've got a minute. All right, we will do. Okay, should we move on to the quiz? Yeah, go on then. Right, what's the scores on the doors then on the quiz? 10.85. So, what I've done this week is, you know, I wanted to do my end of season review special pod at some point. Yeah. But rather than stick a quiz on the end of that, I would do my season quiz tonight. Okay. So there are 15 questions based on this season. Okay. And then there's three questions at the end, which are our three, like, three standard questions of Gamble and yeah. who am I. Okay. Unrelated okay. to this season. So mm-hmm. question number one, who is the only player to have played every minute of Premier League football for the past two seasons? Casper Schmeichel. Sam Johnston. No, he's not a goalkeeper. 
every minute. I think I've heard this one as well, which is annoying me. James Ward-Prowse. A point to Chris. Which opponent was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang dropped against for turning up late? Top none. Chris is 2-0 up. I do this every single time, mate. You know. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was the most expensive signing for a Premier League club in the 2020 summer transfer window? Havertz. Yeah. My well yeah. Dan. Who scored a dramatic late equaliser for West Ham as they came? Lanzini. Yeah. All right. Well done. 3-1 to Chris. Harry Kane finished as top scorer and top assister in the league. Who is the only other player to achieve this in Premier League era? Henri? No. Wayne Rooney? No. Lecissio? No. Mohamed Salah? No. I'll, I'll give you one more guess each. Okay. Okay. Did the age rubber? No. Oh, I think I know now. <laughs> Alan Shearer? No. Andy Cole? Oh, Newcastle. 93-94. Yeah. Wow. Still 3-1. Okay, this this one's hard. I'll be amazed if you get this one. Ruben Diaz won Football Writers Association Player of the Year. Who was the last defender to win the award? It was before the Premiership era. Yeah, okay. Steve Nichol. Bloody hell, Chris. You read your Weetabix, mate. Well wow. I'm and Chris. <laughs> That's me done. See you later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you deserve to win it just for that one. Um, question number seven. Who became the first player to score on all seven days of the week in a single season this season? Iheanacho. Yeah. Well done. Who scored the first hat-trick of 20, 2021 season? Watkins. No. Bamford? No. Mohamed Salah? Yes. I have two to Chris. Who was the only player to score two own goals this season? Lewis Dunk? No. Jan Bednarek? No. Gaspar Schmeichel? No. Toby Averwild? No. I'll give you one guess each. Okay. No, I don't know. Um, David Louise. No. Craig Dawson. Oh, West Ham. Only played for them for six months, I think. <laughs> I think that happened in consecutive games as well, if I remember rightly. Probably. Which side ended Liverpool's 68 game unbeaten streak at Anfield? Aston Villa? No. Burnley. Yes. 6-2 to Chris. You're on fire tonight. Which company mocked Spurs after their partnership was announced? Dulux? Uh, yes. TL Chris. Right, it is 7-2. And there's six questions left. So, Dan, you need to... <laughs> <laughs> You need to redeem yourself here. This could be the best comeback ever. <laughs> I don't know, seven questions left, sorry. Yeah. Who scored the first goal of the 2021 season? Calvert-Lewin? No. 
No, it, it was. Um, I'm going to go Pierre Abangyemen. No. William. No. Lacazette. Yes. <laughs> Eight two. Who were the only team not to score at home on the final day of the season? Fulham. Yes. I'm playing for pride now, Dan, I think. Mm. Okay. Who was the only member of the Man City squad for this year's Champions League final to have won the trophy previously? Dungan? Nope. Um. One down, dig deep. Bernardo Silva. No. Aguero. No. One more guess each. <clears throat> it's a good question. Um, Sterling. Cancelo. No. No. Scott Carson. What? He was part of the 2005. <sighs> That's a great question. How many goals did Chelsea concede in the Champions League this season? Seven. Three. All right, Dan gets a point. It was actually four. Really, four? I knew that they had the best defence. And one of them was against Karaznador. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's the end of the season, this season questions. So... This is the gamble question. How many Champions League runners-up can you name since 2000? So, Dan, how many do you think you named? Uh, six. I'll eight. go seven. I'll give eight a try. Go nine. Uh, I'll try ten. Go on, Dan. Floor is yours. All right. Uh, Man City. Yes, actually not on the list because I wrote this before the final, but yeah, <laughs> I'll count that. There's 15 then. Okay. Yeah, I'll recount. I'm not having this. <laughs> no, carry on, carry on. Man United? Yes. Tottenham? Yes. Arsenal? Yes. Dortmund? Yes. Up to five. Monaco? Yes. Atletico Madrid. Yep. AC Milan. Yep. Two more. Liverpool. Yes. I thought you were going to leave them out. I was like, oh. <laughs> All right. Take a bit of a guess. Go for Real Madrid. You're going Real Madrid. They're not one of them. <laughs> You've done a Chris. I've got PSG. Yes, correct. Lucky there, Dan. You got so far with that as well. No. So you could have had Valencia, Bayer Leverkusen, Juventus, Monaco, Milan, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United, Bayern Munich, Dortmund, Atletico Madrid, Tottenham, PSG, and as you said, Man City. Should have got Leverkusen. Yeah, they, they blew all of them, didn't they? They had all the cup finals and one year. They blew them all. Okay. 
similar question, uh, but how many UEFA Cup slash Europa League winners can you name in 2000? Chris? How many is there? <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Uh, 12. And I, I'm, I'm up to date on this one. Okay, good. Six. Go seven. Eight. I'll let you name Chris. Okay. Go on, Chris. Cheers. <laughs> uh, Seville. Yep. Villarreal. Uh, yep. Man United. Yep. I'm trying to think of see the all British final. Can't remember which one won. It's thirteen actually. Sorry, there is oh. thirteen. Yeah, Chelsea. Uh, yeah. So Seville, Villarreal, Chelsea. Right, you're on to three. Okay. Um, now we're cooking. Liverpool. Yeah. Dortmund. No. No. Sorry. Dan, can you name one for the win? Benfica. No. Uh, the answers were Galatasaray, Liverpool, Feyenoord, Porto, Valencia, CSKA, Moscow, Sevilla, Zenit, St. Petersburg, Shakhtar, Donetsk, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Man United, Villarreal. Well, consider a couple of them, but I struggle to apply. Okay, final question is a who am I question. This player has played for Manchester United. Jewish Guild, Dunstable Town, Stockport County, Cork Celtic, LA Aztecs, Fulham, LA Aztecs again, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, Hibs, San Jose Earthquakes, CB, Hong Kong Rangers, Bournemouth, Brisbane Lions, Osborne Park Galeb, DYFC, Nuneaton Borough, Tobermore United. Wow. Um, started off at Man U, did you say? Yeah. Quentin Fortune? Nope. Think Manchester, think Dunstable Town, think Fulham and Hibbs. George Best? Well done, Dan. Wow. Good shot, mate. So that leaves it at Chris 10, Dan 4. Yeah. Hey, I've got a win. I've got a win in the quiz. What <laughs> <laughs> well a Chris. Thank you, mate. On that note, it's goodbye for me. Goodbye <laughs> for me. And goodbye for me. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
Sports Social Podcast Network.